Welcome to Radical Simple Living Podcast. We're still on Series 1 and this is Episode 37. I think when I get to Episode 40 I'll change it to episode uh, Series 2. I don't know. We'll wait and see. It'll be a win. Um, I'm trying not to have a, a break over the summer. But obviously I'm very tied up with all the sort of things I'm doing here. So I get to the microphone a little less often than I might like. So it's been a, a long time. It sounds like a confessional now. It's been over a week since my last podcast. I'm sorry. It's hot here. It's very hot. I'm taking the break in the middle of a very hot afternoon of watering the garden. And it's that kind of hot afternoon where what I'm doing is I'm watering and I'm thinking I'm finished and then I'm seeing another plant somewhere drooping over and then rushing to get some water to uh, relieve that plant. And then you see another one and then it it goes on and on. Um, More about that later. The topic of today's podcast is what we do when things go wrong how do we react now if you if you are observant of other people you will have observed other people and what they do when things go wrong and we know that some people are very calm and collected and manage to cope with the situation and we know that other people go to pieces And I don't know what kind of person you are. Um, I know what kind of person I am. If something goes very wrong very quickly, I appear to the rest of the world to be calm because really I'm in a state of shock. I know, what am I going to do about this? But that appears as calmness. So it's not always what you perceive in other people that might be really taking place. I'm not a panicker when things go wrong. Um... I like to struggle on through and get on with it. And I'm never surprised when things go wrong. There's a Paul Simon song that says, when something goes right, I'm the last to admit it. And uh, there's something of that in in me. There's something about me which, when things go wrong, I think, well, you know, I kind of guessed this was going to happen. Now, obviously, there are levels of things going wrong. There are terrible things that go wrong. There are terrible things that personally go wrong. You can be um, diagnosed with an awful disease and told that you have limited time left to live. You can lose somebody very close to you. You can become financially insolvent. You can have a fearful accident. You can uh, have a relationship breakdown. Your house can burn down. I could go on for hours about the terrible things that can happen to you. And I hope none of them do. But in a lifetime, chances are a few of them really do. And they're awful. And if you're coping with something like that at the moment, if you're coping with something really terrible that's happened to you, um, I'm I'm sorry and I hope this doesn't distress you because that's not really the aim of the podcast there are also those things that go wrong on a national or international level your country is invaded 
by its huge neighbour. You, your economy collapses. You are faced with flood or forest fire. Indeed, um, we've all been looking at what's happening in Canada over the last week or so with huge forest fires and the polluting smoke circulating around over North America and causing lots of people problems. Yeah, those are terrible things that happen too. There are also terrible things that happen on a world level, like a world food shortage, a world fuel shortage, global warming generally, that is causing so many people so many problems. It seems to me sometimes when I look back over a week's news that half the world is in a drought situation and they're too hot and haven't got enough water and the other half of the world has got too much water and they're being flooded and all kinds of terrible things are happening. So bad things happen and what we have to do is look at what happens to us when those bad things happen. And if we're adopting a life of radical, simple living, is that going to help us? Is that going to help us to get over those simple things? Um, before I get going on that in any depth, the best advice about how to cope with things comes from the English playwright and songwriter and all-around clever chap called Noel Coward. Noel Coward, you may remember from his rather fine sort of uh, upper-crust British accent and his very witty songs. If you don't know them, give them a try. Some of them are truly wonderful. And he gave advice to people that he met, and I'm sure it wasn't his advice originally. It sounds very similar to the kind of advice offered by people in the common sense movement in, in Scotland uh, some time ago. It was to rise above it. So what do you do if something bad happens? You, I'll try and do the voice here. What do you do if something really bad happens? Rise above it, dear boy. Um, and what he was saying by that Noel Coward is that you can't really do anything about it when something bad happens, but your attitude towards it can actually help you. By rising above it, by looking inside yourself and reaching inside yourself for better things, you can pull yourself short of the sort of hand-wringing and wailing that people go in for when something terrible happens. It doesn't make the terrible thing any better, but it does make your coping with the terrible thing better. And if you can cope with that terrible thing better, the people around you will also be able to cope with that thing better. You may even be in a position where you have, you know, young people to look after. You may be a parent or grandparent or a teacher or a child carer and bad things happen and the children will automatically look to you for how to react. And if you react well, then it gives them some kind of strength. And we all know examples from the news when terrible things have happened to children, but an adult has done their best to make it better. And that's a wonderful thing to do. Now, um, apart from that advice, we maybe need to look at a little bit about why things go wrong. Why isn't everything wonderful every day? Why don't we get up in the morning knowing that nothing bad is going to happen? 
knowing that we're not going to um, be diagnosed with something terrible that day, knowing that we're not going to receive a letter from the bank saying that we've gone into overdraft, all those things. Why do bad things happen to people? And your approach to that is, is going to have a lot to do with your religion or your lack of religion. Because some people will say it's all for the best and some people will say it's a terrible thing. I want to tell you a story um, about Johnny Cash. And there are many stories about Johnny Cash, most of them wonderful. But it's a story about his experience when he was growing up in Mississippi, when the family put all of their money into buying a small farm with a shotgun shack in the middle. And for those of you that don't come from North America, a shotgun shack means a shack that you can open the front door and the back door and fire a shot right the way through it because there's nothing in between. Um, the Cash family um, bought this land and bought this homestead, very tiny, humble uh, hut in the middle of it, and did their best to eke a living out of the land that surrounded them. And it wasn't easy. The soil was poor. The turnover of the soil was hard. The weather was dry. And however much they tried anything they invested in the farm, you invested in seed and you planted the seed and it would give you very disappointing results. So you ended up losing money. And one day there was a flood. The Mississippi River burst its banks and there was a terrible flood that spread the Mississippi mud all over the cash land. And they took to the roof. They actually had to sit on the roof. Uh, the mother, the father, the two children, Johnny Cash had a brother who died tragically uh, sometime after this. And they had to sit on the roof and they had to watch these floodwaters rising. And uh, Park Ash said, this is terrible. This is terrible. We are sitting here and our land is ruined. I wish we'd never spent our money on this plot. Best thing we can do when the floodwater subsides is go back to the city and rent somewhere to live and I'll get a job in a factory and that will be it. But Johnny Cash's ma had a different take on it. She said, somehow this is all going to work out right. And she was a woman of, of great religious faith. And she said, the Lord is going to get us through this. And Johnny Cash was faced with listening to both his parents. He listened to his father with a very pessimistic view of the things going wrong and how they were going to affect the family. And he listened to his mother. And he didn't know which one of them was right at this point. He was a young boy, and you do. When you're young, you look up to your parents and you think your parents are always right. And if they're saying different things, that places you in a bit of a dilemma. Well, what happened was the floodwaters went down. And when the floodwaters went down, they had taken the bare, dry, unfertile, miserable soil that was on the cash land and they had coated it with about six inches of rich Mississippi mud, 
which when it dried out and was ploughed, provided them with the kind of agricultural experience that they were hoping for. They were able to invest in seeds, they were able to grow their crops and the farm became profitable. So that's a pretty good story of how you can react to things going wrong. I know many of you that listen aren't of any religious faith at all, and that's fine. But you can still have hope. You can still look for situations and say, well, this looks terrible, but something good might come out of it. Yeah, there's all sorts of sayings that my mother used to say. It's an ill wind and uh, every cloud has a silver lining and all these things. And what they're really saying is something bad's happened, but you know what? There might be something good at the base of it. We don't know. Now, the other thing about uh, things going wrong is that some religious faiths have this idea uh, about predestination. Some Muslims, most Muslims in actual fact, and many sort of Protestant sects, particularly those of a Calvinistic point of view, sort of accept things going wrong and saying, oh, well, it's, it's Allah's will, it's God's will. Things have gone wrong, there's a purpose, it's not for us to judge it. Um, most of us aren't like that. Most of us think, right, something's gone wrong. What we've got to do is deal with it. We can't just accept it. We've got to pick ourselves up somehow. We've got to get over this bad thing that's happened. And we've got to move on with our lives. And we've got to make sure that something good comes out of something bad. And we've got to get up tomorrow morning and do it again. There's another song in there, I know. A Jackson Brown one. When the morning comes around, get up and do it again. Amen. We know that as humans we've got to struggle on. And if you think that you can't struggle on, if you can't get over what has happened to you that's bad, I'm always encouraged, uh, encouraged in the true sense of the word, in given courage, to look at some and listen to some of the people that survived the Holocaust that are people that went to concentration camps, obviously those that are left were children at the time, and have come through and have had very successful lives. Not successful in they've made loads of money or they've written a prize-winning novel, but successful in they've managed to pick up the pieces of their lives and get on with it. Some of them lost their grandparents, their aunts, their uncles, their parents, their siblings. They had to be taken from the camp and found themselves living in Britain or America or Canada or Australia or somewhere like that and they found themselves having to carry on with their life. And you know what? They do it and they're remarkable people. And if ever you're feeling a bit sorry for yourself because bad things happen, go to YouTube and just put in Holocaust survivors and listen to some of those people. Okay, it's hard to listen to. Uh, There's one particular video that I'm thinking of about a woman who had a twin sister and she was taken and the Nazis, as you know, used twins to do experiments on one twin and not on the other. And in her case, the sister was the one that was experimented on and she was the control. So she had to watch her sister, her twin sister, undergoing terrible things and she was the one that those terrible things didn't happen to, other than being a 
uh, prisoner of the Nazi regime, which is pretty terrible anyway. My own father was in that position. Okay, <clears throat> so why do bad things happen? Whether you have religious faith or whether you don't, whether you believe in predestination or whether you believe in chance or accidents or all of these things, we need to know why. And I'm always interested in Robbie Burns' poem. Now, Robbie Burns, as you know, was a Scot, and he wrote in Scottish. And for those of you that don't live anywhere near Scotland or have no Scottish ancestry yourself, Scottish isn't the same language as, um, as, as Gaelic. It's completely different. Scottish is a language that was influenced very strongly by Viking invaders to Scotland. It has lots of similarities with English, but its own vocabulary. It's a very wonderful language. If you read Robbie Burns, you'll see how this flows. And he wrote a wonderful poem called um, To a Mouse. And I'm not going to read you the poem, but if you look Robbie Burns to a Mouse, you will find it. And if you go to the Wikipedia page on To a Mouse by Robbie Burns, you'll find it gives it to you in the original Scots and it also has a translation into uh, UK English so you can read it. But the story of the poem is that it's in a winter and uh, a farmer, who we presume is Robbie Burns himself, is out in the field. And what he does is he cuts down, he's cutting down corn stalks that are left in the field. And in the course of doing this, he destroys the nest of a harvest mouse. Now harvest mice build lovely little round nests in um, in the wheat field and they build them half the way up the straw of the plant so they're protected from rain at the bottom and they're protected from all the uh, predators that are living on the bottom of the field and they build a little round nest and they live in it and they have babies in it and they hibernate in it. Robbie Burns destroyed one of these nests. Inadvertently, he didn't mean to. And he saw that he had destroyed the home of the mice and he had destroyed their world. All their plans he had destroyed. Um, all their dreams he had destroyed. All their hard work he had destroyed. And he had made them homeless on a cold day. And he didn't think it was his fault. He didn't know they were there. He didn't deliberately do it. But he'd done it. He wrecked their lives with one movement of his scythe. And he wrote the very wonderful poem. And the line comes from it of Mice and Men. Because he said men's lives and, my, and the life of mice are the same. In that we never know when things are going to go wrong. We never know when devastating things are going to take place and we're going to find ourselves with something really bad happening to us. And he's right. We don't know. We don't know at all. So can I finish up this little bit of the podcast by saying that I hope nothing bad happens to you today and I hope when bad things do happen to you, you're able to rise above it and you're able to look for the silver lining, yet you're able to cope some way. And if you're shouting at your uh, device at the moment and saying that's easy for you, it is, I know. Um, some of us have had, touch wood, um, a life that has been 
good of some of the terrible things that do happen to people. In fact, most of us do. We look at these terrible disasters and we think um, it couldn't happen to me. How many times do you hear that? And of course it does. Now, what good and what bad has been happening to me since I last spoke to you? Well, the last time I was here, I told you that the badgers had that night gone into my onion plot and trashed it. They'd uprooted onions, they had dug up the soil and they had been very difficult. And I was annoyed by this and I had to go and try and replace the onions. I'm afraid to say many of the onions didn't make it and many of the onions are growing badly because of their disturbance. They're growing very broad necks, which means they won't be very good for storage. I also regret to tell you that every night since then, and that was on the 4th of June, and it's now on the 13th of June. So every night bar one, the badgers have come back. And the badgers have trashed more of my dreams here in ripping up plants. They dug up all my pepper plants that I uh, started raising in January. It's far too late in the year to replace those. They're gone. So no peppers this year, other than those I can get from the shop. They also dug up French beans, a whole plot of dug them up. Peas they dug up. They got into pots that were planted with tomatoes. I grow tomatoes out of the land, but I also grow some in containers. And they got in the containers and dug those up. They have dug up all my cucumbers and then I re-sowed the seeds and they dug them up again. They have dug up all my pumpkin and my squash. I had to try and rummage around in the dirt to find the plants and have replanted them. They're not doing so well, I'm afraid. Then I re-sowed things. Where the um, butternut squash were growing, I decided to grow some winter radish. I can plant them now and harvest them in the autumn. And I put them in and I covered them with my mesh and I tethered down the wire mesh to the sides. And three days later, the wire mesh had been ripped off and the whole plot had been dug over. They have done so much damage, they have ruined at least a third of my crops that have got in. And what's more, they're also digging two empty plots. I've got two empty plots still, one of which is going to have my leeks planted out in it. I grow the leeks in a container and then when they're big enough I plant them out. I'm worried because what's to stop them digging those up when I plant them out? I've also got one plot that I'm looking to sow some root crops, some turnips and some kohlrabi for autumn harvest. And I'm worried that if I waste my time sowing seeds in there, the badgers will just come along and trash it. Now I want to emphasise I love badgers. They are an animal that I really do have a lot of respect for. I know that they live in very complex societal groups. I know that they are very good parents and raise their cubs carefully. I know that they pair up for life. I know that they're hospitable and sometimes, nobody believes me, I say this, but it's true, sometimes badgers let rabbits and foxes live in their sets as sort of lodgers. It's true. Look at the research. It's, it's all there. Um, it's been observed many, many times. 
They don't normally cause trouble. This is my seventh summer here. The badgers have been here all the time and usually the badgers and I have not had a problem. But this year the badgers are desperate. And the badgers are desperate for the very simple reason that it hasn't rained here since fairly early in April. And when it did rain in April, the rain was very disappointing, very minimal levers, measured in millimetres. I'm not going to even bother converting that to inches for people in the States. If I tell you, if you hold your fingers tight together and open them so you can see a little gap, that's about a millimetre. And sometimes our rainfall was 0.4 of a millimetre, which means, you know, in, in Wales, where I was living previously, if it rains an inch, you think you've had quite a dry day. Um, it's appalling. And I'm having to water every day. I'm having to get up and, 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 and water every day from dawn till dusk. I have to, after supper, I have to clear the supper. I have to come in, cook the supper, clear the supplings away, um, get the crockery sorted, clean up, make sure that the, the, the family are fine, that the children are okay for the evening, go out and water some more. And then when I finish watering, I go and have a bath and go to bed. Now, the problem is the well is getting low. It's not as low as it was this time last year, but it was a lot later in the year than it got that low. And so I'm worried pretty soon I'm going to have to stop watering. And if I stop watering, the plants are going to die. And because I'm a homesteader, because I'm a self-sufficient homesteader, I invest a lot in the plots every year in getting things right. And if I don't get the crops, that means I've got to go to the shops and buy what I want to eat this winter. And the economy of that doesn't work out well with my restricted budget and what I have to do. Now, I'm not after your sympathy because I know it's the same for millions of people all over the planet. Global warming has increased the frequency of drought. It has increased the frequency of flooding. It has increased the frequency of forest fires. I don't doubt that. If you look at the evidence, it's very clear. So what's that got to do with badgers? Well, normally the badgers live in the woods. And normally the badgers, most of their diet is worms and slugs and things. They do other things. They're fairly omnivorous. These are European badgers, by the way, Eurasian badgers, not North American badgers, who are different animals in their habits and in their feeding. Eurasian badgers like to eat worms. They scratch around, they find worms and grubs on the forest floor, they eat them. This year, they can't. If I go into the forest, the badgers have scoured up and scratched up the forest floor all over the place, looking for grubs, looking for worms, they can't find them, so what do they do? They come into my land where I'm growing crops and because I'm watering them and there are worms there because there's lots of compost in it, they're digging up the plots for worms. I don't blame them. I would do the same thing if I were a badger. It doesn't make it any easier to cope with though. I, I do not want to hurt the badger. I would not hurt a badger for anything. I'm privileged to live so close to a badger colony. Um, but I am worried by it because I don't know where it's going to stop. And I do hope that when it does rain, they take to eating in the woods again and they don't say, oh, we'll go and uh, raid that garden again. I hope they go back to their old habits. That's what we've got to do. 
Now that's an example of how global warming has macro effects like flooding in Bangladesh, like forest fires in California and in Canada, like drought and flood in Australia. All of these things are happening because of global warming and these are big things going wrong that affect thousands of people. And it's very easy just to focus on those big things and think this is terrible, all these big things going on, what's going to happen? But if we are dedicated, as I am, to getting what I can from a small area of land, I'm able to observe the micro consequences of global warming. The micro consequences like wildflowers dying in the forest like trees beginning to have leaves browning far too early in the year, like my well getting lower and lower and lower every time I look at it, like the badgers not being able to get food in the wood and coming to raid my garden, like me having to work all hours and ignore other duties like producing podcasts regularly because I'm busy watering all the time, because that water, that act of watering is making my well go even lower. The micro effects of global warming mean things going wrong for all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. And if your home has been flooded, if you've lost your home or been evacuated from your home by forest fires, by floods, uh, you will know that it's not big tragedies. These are little tragedies that happen to all sorts of people all over the planet. So we have to find ways to do things. And you're probably going to know what my answer to this is. My answer is we have to go on looking for simple solutions. We have to go on looking for ways to live our life more simply, to use less energy, to use less of the Earth's resources, to grow more of our own food, to travel less, to burn up less aviation fuel to try and live on a planet in a way that our footprint makes less of an impact. That's all we can do. Sure, we can join big organisations. We can join in protests. We can do all sorts of things. I'm not sure how much good some of those protests do, to be honest. But what we have first got to do is see that change within ourselves and make a personal commitment to looking after our bit of the planet because in doing that we're actually looking after the whole of the planet rather better and that's what we need to do. Now what's going to happen here? Well I look every day at five different weather forecasters for my bit of southern Sweden and the good news is I'm recording this on a Tuesday and the good news is that on the weekend, either Saturday or Sunday, four of those five forecasters say we're going to have some rain. Now, I should say the amount of rain is varying gradually, and some of them are saying, well, we're going to have a fairly reasonable amount of rain here, and some are saying we're not going to have very much rain at all. If I have to go through another month without effective rain, my croppage from the garden this year is going to be zero. 
So I'm a self-sufficient homesteader that can't produce any food because of the climatic change. Like millions of other people, I know. I know. So, I hope by next time I come to talk to you here, I can say, oh, it's rained. The level in the well is coming up. The badgers have all apologised and decided to go back to the woods and live happily ever after. And that my crops are growing and where I've got empty soil, I've been able to sow more seed and get more things growing. I hope that's what I can tell you. Um, if things are going on in your life that are bad, please know that um, other people care about you wherever you are in the world, wherever you're listening to, people do care. We can, as people, be good neighbours. We can only really be good neighbours to people that we come in contact to, but we can be good world neighbours. We can show sympathy and we can realise that our actions, which may be thoughtless or careless, can have big impacts on the lives of those who are unable to do anything about the effects of global warming. OK, I hope to be back with you soon for another podcast. As I've said to people before, in summer I have very little time to go on social media. I have letters unanswered and messages unanswered. I just don't have time to do it. So if you have the chance to publicise this podcast, either on social media or by word of mouth, or to any groups or organisations you're involved with, I am going to be so grateful to you. So thank you very much. And thank you for joining me today. I've nearly finished my tea. I'm back outside to do some more watering. Okay, nice to have you here.